0: Welcome to another Goodwill of East Texas podcast. Our guest today, a famous writer and former employee, Joe Lansdale is with us. Welcome to the microphone, Joe. Glad to be here. You are currently in the Nacogdoches area. Is that where you live?
1: That's right. I live on a, well, just outside of Nacogdoches, about, eight or nine miles out in the woods.
0: Before we get into talking about your career, I want to talk a little bit about how you got there. Goodwill was early pieces of your career. You worked at Goodwill here in East Texas, right? When was that and what did you do?
1: I'm not exactly sure. It must have been around 75 or 6. It's been a while now. I don't remember, but it was mid-70s and I worked there about 10 months. I started out as what they called traffic manager, which I mean I sent the trucks out and sent them to the places for pickups. Then I became the PR guy, and I did both for a while, and then I was just PR, and then we decided to move here to Nacogdoches so my wife could finish school. I went to work as a janitor, and I wrote until I could write full-time.
0: You were working where in Nacogdoches as a janitor?
1: Stephen F. Austin State University. I worked at the hospital some and the high school. Before Goodwill, I farmed. I did a lot of other different jobs, aluminum chair factory stuff like that.
0: Was it on your radar to work at Goodwill? How did you come into this job?
1: Well, I always liked the idea of Goodwill. So, and I and I don't remember how I learned that they were looking for someone. And maybe I just walked in and applied. I don't I don't know. But I was hired instant, and uh, I went to work. uh, You know, pretty quick.
0: (laughs) Funny how small the world is. You and I were able to visit before we recorded the podcast. We knew a lot of the same people. Some of the people that you knew here in the East Texas area, talk about them. You worked with them at Goodwill, and they've gone on to be great people like you.
1: Well, I thought of Sam Griffith uh, primarily. He and I were actually high school friends, and then we became better friends when we got out of school. And we ended up going to Tyler Junior College together a little bit, and we both ended up at Goodwill. And we went there, and he he had a different job. I think he managed uh, some other aspect of, of Goodwill I don't remember what, maybe the products, I don't remember what they called it then. But, uh, you know, we've known each other for years, like I said, ever since high school, before that actually. So um, I've known Sam a long time. I haven't seen him uh, in a a while, but uh, we certainly uh, had our paths crossed consistently.
0: You have a niece who, I think she's retired now, but she worked in law enforcement.
1: Yeah, Pam Lansdale. She went by Dunklin as well, and that was her married name, but she goes kind of by both of those names. She worked as a sheriff's detective there, and then she later had a TV series based on the cases that they had, and she was part of that, and that was called Texas, no, Lone Star Justice. That's what it was called. My brother lives just outside of Tyler, and I have a family in Gladewater, which is where I was uh, born. So I, the whole East Texas area has always been You know my stomping grounds and it's the it's the basis for nearly everything i write
0: let's talk about what you write Uh, you have been called in the houston chronicle recently the stephen king of east texas do you own that
1: i hate that recognition not because of stephen i I like stephen Uh, he's i love his work and all that but i don't want to be anybody else other than me i've worked hard to establish the the joe lansdale of of texas you know and uh maybe beyond that um, I've been very fortunate with my career and the article, by the way, is tremendous. And I really love the article, but I could have done without that, that headline. And, and it wouldn't have mattered who they put up there. You know, I've seen though, the Hemingway of Texas, the, you know, the Kirk Vonnegut, it doesn't matter whatever they put. I'd rather just be me.
0: You're described on imdb.com as a prolific genre fiction writer. Prolific does not always mean great, but in your case, it does. How do you write a lot and keep it good?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I only work about three hours a day and sometimes not that long, but I work every day. I show up seven days a week. It's rare that I take a day off because uh, since I'm not spending more than that amount of time, generally in the morning, and the only reason I wouldn't do it in the morning is if I was flying on a plane and had to write on a plane or when we're overseas Because I have publishers in Italy and France and Germany, Japan, China, you name it, all over the world. So sometimes I have to travel, which of course has been curtailed as of recent because of the COVID virus. I just make sure I show up. I've always told people it's not how many hours you work, it's how successfully you work the hours you do work. And uh, I remember when I was working full-time jobs, I might not work more than 30 minutes a day, but I worked every day. You know, I worked on weekends I and work days and holidays because it doesn't really disrupt much when you get up, you do three hours. Most people, you're done by the time everybody else gets up or at least by the time they get stirring. So I very seldom miss a, uh, you know, a work day.
0: In addition to being dedicated to your craft, there are a lot of writers out there who write all the time like you do, but they don't seem to write what the masses want to read. How did you figure out what people wanted to read that you also wanted to write?
1: I I don't write for other people when when I'm writing the first, you know, when I get finished, I want people to like it. I hope they do. But I always write like everybody I know is dead. Uh, Like I'm not writing for anybody. I don't want to think about somebody looking over my shoulder. I don't care what the reader wants. I want what I want. Then when I get through and it's done, then I hope the reader likes it. My, My basic theory is simple. If I like it, maybe there's someone like me that will also like it. And, and and you're not going to be universally admired and I don't care to be. And uh, I've been successful without worrying about that uh, because I can't judge the audience. I couldn't tell you what you want to read. I couldn't tell you what somebody else wants to read. Something else that may delight uh, one person might, you know, offend another. So you, you just don't know. So if you set out trying to figure out what people want, when you don't know those people, that seems like a, uh, a kind of pointless endeavor. I, I think there are some people that are more tuned into that than others, And It's worked for me, but, uh, that's the best I can tell you. I learned a long time ago. As soon as I quit trying to figure out what people wanted, I started selling and things got better for me.
0: Our guest on the Goodwill of East Texas podcast is Joe R. Lansdale. What does the R stand for? Richard. But you've always gone by Joe.
1: I've always gone by Joe, and I only use Joe R. In, in writing and some business aspects. I did that because I thought Joe was a common name, and I figured there were other Lansdales that would end up writing, and it turns out there aren't that many Lansdales, but uh, I, I do that to make a distinction between myself and any others that might come, and um, there are more Lansdales writing now. When I started, there weren't, or at least none that I knew of, and uh, I think there are several now. You know, I know besides my kids, they both write. So it just seemed like a way to go. And my name was actually, is actually, Joe Richard Harold Lansdale. You know, I think people can be grateful I didn't use all of that.
0: You say you write what you like. Yeah. And I'm looking here at the list of what you write. Novels, novellas, novelettes, short stories, chapbooks, comic books, graphic novels. That's a broad spectrum.
1: Well, all of that. And, and also it goes beyond that because I don't just write, you know, novels, short story. I also write nonfiction. But the novels... And short stories vary because some of them are crime, some of them have horror uh, background, some are uh, more fantastic. I mean, I've I've done a little bit of all of it, and I've been fortunate that I've been well received in all of those different branches of writing. But most of the time, I just mix it. It just just comes together, you know. And as far as like screenplays, I've sold screenplays to Ridley Scott and all kinds of people that didn't get made, but they certainly paid me a lot of money. And I've also had some that, uh, you know, scripts. I, I wrote a script for the Happen Leonard TV series, which is based on my books. Uh, I wrote a script for the second season, and I've written Batman, the animated series. I wrote four of those. I wrote a Superman, in the animated series. I wrote an animated movie called Son of Batman. And uh, a lot of my other stuff has been uh, scripted by other people, adapted by other people to love death and robots and Creep show, one my son and daughter and I wrote together when they were kids. You know, things have been picked up for you know, stories of mine like Bubba Hotep, which was adapted, Cold in July, which is, uh, you know, starred Michael C. Hall and Don Johnson and Sam Shepard, which, you know, re- a really good modern noir film. And uh, there are several others that are forthcoming and things that look, you know, pretty good. The Thicket looks like it's about to be filmed. Uh, sometime in the near future with Peter Dinklage starring in it, who was in uh, Game of Thrones.
0: You have a number of films that started out as written works. When you sell a script to somebody in Hollywood, do you cede ownership of your script or do you write a screenplay that you they then own? How does that work?
1: It well, can work varying ways, but anytime you allow someone to take your work and make a movie, you lose a certain amount of control of it. Sometimes uh, that doesn't hurt. They really care, like Bubba Hotep and Cold in July and the Happen Leonard series. I was very fortunate, but that didn't always the case and generally is not the case. And I did manage to be a producer, uh, a co-executive producer on the TV series. So that one, I, I learned a lot you give up a certain ownership to it. And if you do the screenplay, you get paid. But that doesn't mean they have to stick to that screenplay. They may not even use it. Or like Ridley Scott, they just never filmed it. I mean, I, I got an enormous amount of money. You would think, oh my gosh, they're going to film it. They didn't, not yet. Three or four times they've thought to film it. Every three years, really, uh, or four, they announce that they've got a new director and they're going in and they sometimes they have a different script. Sometimes it's mine, sometimes it's someone else's. So it, it's a business. And, and I think you have to understand that if you get into film business, it's collaborative, whether you want it to be or not, because there are too many people involved. The actors have their say, the director, the producer, you know, even the director of photography can change what's there, even if they're shooting it literally, because they have a different viewpoint of how things will look. So there's so many different factors with film. I mean, I much prefer prose. I like novels and short stories best. But I also like film, and I'm supposed to even direct one myself coming up if nothing blows. And right now, we don't know that's going to happen for sure, but the COVID kind of derailed us. But we're hoping we'll be able to pick that back up again, get the train back on the track.
0: So when you decide that you want to direct a film, do you just raise your hand and say, I'll do it? Or do you work that as part of the deal? You say, okay, I'll write the screenplay, and I'll take a cut and pay if you'll let me direct. How do you get your foot in the door as a director? It's not easy.
1: No, you know, it's funny. I was asked to direct a couple of times just from reading my scripts. People felt I could do it, but I didn't think I was ready to do it. But over the years, I've had almost a 50 year publishing career. Not quite, but almost. I have been on many sets. I have many friends who are directors and actors and have different screenwriters, different roles in films. You know, they do different things just picked up a lot of it. And I've read about it all my life. People think if I watch a movie, I can direct one. And it's, there's more to it than that. But that's the first thing you got to do. You got to be a fan. You got to want to do it. And you got to understand what it takes to do it. And being on sets, which I do, and you pay attention to what other people are doing, you finally at some point think, I can do this. You may be wrong. <laughs> you don't know till you try. But yeah, I just raise my hand. You know, I always used to, they say, can you do this? I go, yep, I can do it. I never wrote a screenplay and I wrote one in one day and uh, optioned it and then rewrote it, made it better in 15 days and optioned it for 11 or 12 times, you know, over the years. And those options for were for a year apiece and then sold it for quite a bit of money and it never got made. So, you know, you you have to be confident. You have to be willing. And I was always willing. And so to me, uh, writing a screenplay is part of the craft but you you have to understand that you're writing it for other people to interpret which is not the same for a novel when you write a script you're going to have all these other people involved in it realizing this thing making it an event making it a film and sometimes you write something that reads great on the page it doesn't work great on the stage so they, it has to be changed right then so you have to you have to have a different viewpoint and it doesn't mean you don't care about it. it doesn't mean you don't want it to be what you created. But you do have to understand if they're going to shoot outside one day and it rains, then they have to shoot inside. So that may change the script. That may change the story. And sometimes to the betterment, and sometimes it's worse.
0: It seems, I'll I'll use Peter Falk as an example. He worked over and over with John Cassavetes. Mm -hmm. You see that a lot in Hollywood. Do you find that's true for you, that once you sold a script or two, the same actors and directors would come back to you and go, what else you got?
1: Well, to to some degree, I mean, um, Don Coscarelli, who his most famous known film uh, that most people know about is Phantasm, but probably his best film is Bubba Hotep with Bruce Campbell and Ossie Davis. And uh, based on my story, and it's a it's a great film. It's kind of a cult film. But I did that with him. And then he did another piece of mine for Masters of Horror on Showtime. So, yes, but we did those two. Jim Mickle directed Cold in July, and then he came back as a director as well as producer and for the first season showrunner. And he did some scripting uh, on on that series. Well, that's two uh, different events I had with that director and just like the other. But I'm nothing beyond that. But um, it certainly helps. I think a director and to some extent a writer doesn't always want to be tied to one particular director or one particular writer because they don't want people to think, oh, you know, it's somebody else that makes me good. Now, I don't have that problem, <laughs> but I think some sometimes they do. I've done a couple. I've done three. Maybe I better show that I can do something without that writer. But I would work with Don and, and uh, Jim again in a
0: heartbeat. So are you thinking about directing something you've also written? And if so, do you see that as harder than just writing for the screen?
1: Well, Lawrence Block, who's a a writer and an editor, asked me to do a story for an anthology he was doing. And I did one called The Projectionist. And when I wrote it, I I never write and say, I'm going to try to write something for film. That's that that whole thing about I write like everybody I know is dead. I don't want somebody looking over my shoulder. But when I got finished with it, I said, you know what? This, this, This is practically a film on paper. And my son's a screenwriter. And he did the script for it. And he optioned it right away. And we optioned it with the understanding of, of, course, they have to option the story as well. And then as we got into that, I said, look, I want to direct this thing. And uh, they said, that's a good idea. We'll let you do it. We'll see if that actually happens. But they've paid us for several years now to re in the option and my directorial connection to that particular piece. But so that's mine. Does that make it harder? It didn't for me. And I, I think Keith's script is remarkably good. It's like my story but he had to bring in some other elements. So we have, you know, a 90 minute film, but he kept within the context of the story. And that's what a lot of screenwriters don't know how to do. And so I'm very pleased with the script. We're hoping something will go forward. It may or may not, but right now it looks pretty good.
0: Out of everything you've written, what's your favorite?
1: I wrote a novel called Paradise Sky. I like that one. The the one that most people like best is one called The Bottoms. They, They teach that in some universities and high schools and I have several others that they do that with. But The Bottoms, for a lot of people, is that when Bill Paxton and I tried to make a film out of it for about eight or nine years, Bill was not only a great actor, he was a great director. He did a film called Frailty. It was written by Brent Hanley, the script was. And Brent had written a script based on my novel, The Bottoms. And uh, the plan was for Bill to direct. And as we got closer to having the money and having the the things set up, Bill unfortunately had to go into the hospital with a health problem, and 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 he didn't recover. And so uh, you know, I lost I lost not only the movie, I lost my friend. So you know, it was uh, tough. But that that book, I think probably, if anybody says what should I start with, I always tell them that one. But don't think I'm going to be doing the same thing over and over. There are going to be some things that are reminiscent because you have your own history, you have your own life, you have your own style, and it repeats itself to some degree. But my books vary.
0: Joe Lansdale is on the podcast with us today. Joe, you mentioned earlier that you're a supporter of the mission of Goodwill. You started out uh, working in public relations and also scheduling, you said. You worked Mm -hmm. with one of your coworkers, Mm -hmm. is now a judge, and you're now a famous writer, screenplay director. You've got a lot of credentials So I just have to ask you, what what is it do you think about the mission of Goodwill that allows folks to get a chance to build a career, regardless of their point in life?
1: Before I answer that, I did want to say that what's uh, kind of uh, interesting is that Sam and I put the very first Goodwill box in Nacogdoches, Texas, and there was no store then. Just set the box. We brought it in and we had the permission to where to put it, and we put the first Goodwill box in here. We drove over, pulled it out ourselves, and set it there. And that was the beginning of Goodwill in Nacogdoches. And now, of course, there, there's a store. But I, I like the idea of Goodwill a lot because it, it gives people the opportunity to work, to be paid for their work. It gives people the opportunity to buy all kinds of items that they want and that otherwise might be discarded or, or not used for any positive purpose. Um, I, and I like the idea that it is both uh, that opportunity and a business as well. And uh, it's been amazing to me to see it spread throughout East Texas. Because when I was working, they I think they had one in Athens and maybe Rusk. I forget now; it's been a while. But those were still new stores. And I don't know if all those places have stores anymore. But I that was my job too to go over there and visit with those people and to inspect to make sure everything was going on. So I feel somewhat invested in goodwill.
0: We appreciate you being part of who we are in 2022. Goodwill will be celebrating its 120th anniversary. So would you come back? Yeah. We'd love to have you come back. Joe Lansdale, I'll leave you with the parting thoughts.
1: Well, I think what I would say, and in some ways, this is a goodwill thought. You know, I come from a relatively poor family. I, I, I don't have a college education or any of that stuff, but I had a lot of will. And I had a lot of goodwill and I had a lot of desire to do what it is I'm doing. And I couldn't be happier. So, uh, you know, that's going to be my parting shot.